I don't see my being as being, you know, activist, but I just talk about the things that I go through daily and it, and this is where it takes me, you know. You're listening to Sounds of Wahala, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss activism and music. Join us as we sit down with musicians to discuss how their sociopolitical landscape shapes their music and creative process. I'm your host, Yasmin Obey. Mesa is a solo musician, singer-songwriter, and the freshest member of the Palestinian hip-hop group DAM, which has been around since 1999. She's also collaborated with musicians from around the Levant region, including The Synaptic, Tout Art, and Ministry of Dubki. a lot about um about freedom about women's rights about um like i sing a lot of personal stuff as well but anything that is personal to me as a palestinian woman singer and musician coming from where i come from you know you cannot talk about being a palestinian woman without it being political and you know social and 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 so i guess in some point you know, just me being and talking about what I go through every day is sort of like activism. When I started doing music, I didn't care. I would just, you know, write what I want to write and then put it out. And then I started studying music and then I started becoming a little bit more known and my name was being more known. And then I suddenly started hearing about myself in the eyes of other people and how they see me as a musician and started thinking about, okay, what position is that putting me in? Like, what what is my image? Do I want to build my image or do I want to just go with it and do what I like? And even if I said that I wanted to go with it and do what I like, it doesn't work like that because, you know, subconscious would be poking all the time and it's like, no, but you can do this, you can do that. And I started doing singing with them, which is like a very activist group and always all the songs are very, you know, have a very direct and obvious message that you want to say and i was like okay but if i'm with them like if i have the image of the strong woman can i right now write a song where i'm broken and in tears and on the floor and want somebody to pick me up can i do that i have the right to do that if i'm singing songs like mean inta and just the and yaweli and all of that You know, when you're a musician, you get asked about your identity when you're like 17, 18 years old. Okay, tell us about yourself. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I really, like, I would answer and I would always try and find the best answer to say and, you know, try and really find what I want to say and what is my identity. And it took me years to realize that, dude, I don't even, I don't, I don't have uh, one identity. I don't have... I'm always changing, my thoughts are always changing, my beliefs are always changing. What I realized that I started doing is writing a song about something that I'm not sure what I want to do. And instead of writing the whole feeling and releasing the song, I start writing a song and talk about that. And then I put it on the side and then I start to go through a process for months and months and months with this song that I started writing without releasing it. And then when months and months, I start to, you know, see how my ideas are changing about the specific topic. So it took me some time to, to understand how much pressure and to realize how much pressure I'm putting on myself 
in these times and in these circumstances and all of that until I started releasing bit by bit of like you know what okay the image I did not put the image this is what people see and it's fine I never tried to to promote a specific image I never tried to do anything you know on purpose concerning this specific image yeah and um, till I reached the point that I could actually finish a sentence when I'm feeling broken because I always was censoring myself like no no you cannot be you cannot write a song about being broken and I wouldn't even let myself finish the sentence when I'm writing and now even if I'm not releasing it yet but you know I'm I'm not stopping myself I'm not censoring myself which feels amazing and I still have a lot of process to do that's for sure but you know it's very relieving um, to at least realize what I was doing subconsciously <laughs> Um, I am from Haifa. Haifa is a Palestinian city, but it was uh, occupied by Israel. So these days it's considered as a part of Israel, as an Israeli uh, city. Uh, but there are a lot of Palestinians living here as well. But we do hold an Israeli ID. So we are identified as an Israeli uh, on the paper, yeah. So you ended up studying music in Tel Aviv, right? Yeah. How was that experience? Could you tell me like a bit about that experience? What was it like living there? How did it compare to maybe growing up in Haifa? There's this false rumor in Haifa going on. This is like the city of coexistence. But I think the thing, the thing here is um, that it's pretty much divided um, where Palestinians live, where the Arabs live and where the Jewish people live. And I think what makes it what makes us coexist here with these um, is that uh, we don't get too much into each other's businesses. Yeah, you know, you like we have the coexistence with falafel and hummus and uh, you know the food and all of these and that. But in Tel Aviv, it's everything on top of each other, and everything goes. Everybody goes through the same to the same places, and everything happens like that. It was the first time that I was actually going in deep conversations uh, with Israeli people about many different topics. And that made me realize, first of all, how much of a bubble Haifa is growing up for me here. Like reality was totally different. Uh, second of all, it was um, things like, uh, I don't know, let's say 2012, I think, 2014. I'm not sure, but at some point when I was there, there was a war on Gaza happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm there and I'm studying. And like I said, I was the only Arab there and I made some friends and I study with them. I see them every day. And then the war happened. And I was, I remember I was sitting, um, talking with my friend with uh, MC Gaza, Brahim Ghanem. Um, he's from Gaza. And I was talking to him uh, on Skype until like 4 a.m. in the morning. And he was showing me from the camera on his uh, you know, all the bombings going on in Gaza and, and the airstrikes and everything. And then when I went to sleep and I went to the to school the next day and I found that like more of half of my class was empty because, well, the thing here, here every Israeli person has to do um, army service for two years for women and three years for men. And whenever there's a war going on, and even without a war, every year, every, year, every person that did the army would be called back to do like a service for 
some period of time until they're almost like 40 or something like that. So I go to school after talking with Brahim the whole night and, you know, being worried and all of that and what is happening. I go to school and I find like my friends that I study with are not there because they are in the army, you know, probably bombing, doing the airstrikes that I was talking about with Brahim the night before. And that really made me realize you know, what position I'm in, because, you know, I'm, we're aware of these things, but when we're living here and it sort of becomes easy to, 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 to train yourself to ignore specific things or to, to try and, you know, because I cannot be political and talk about politics at 24 hours a day, that would completely ruin me, you know, I don't know the whole thing and seeing like, how it is and how the Israeli society is built and how things are and how far from the reality that I was living in it is and how, you know, I started seeing it in a different way. Also, like a lot of people say like, yeah, like Tel Aviv is the free place where everybody can be themselves and everybody this and everybody that. And that's total bullshit, I have to say, uh, because, um, like I really, I really felt like someone would come up to me and ask me, I was working in bars and working and like, I was working pretty much, I was living there for six years and I worked nonstop and studied nonstop and did everything nonstop. So I used to work a lot in bars and I would get people coming at me and, you know, ordering and my, my accent in Hebrew is not, you know, an Israeli accent. So I always get the, the question, like, what is your, uh, what is your accent? Where do you come from? And it doesn't sound Arabic as well. So I would say Arabic, you know, some people would be like, um, would be very friendly before that, before they knew I'm an Arab. And then when I say I'm an Arab, part of them would like, you know, be scared a little bit or skeptic and would walk away and not talk to me again. Uh, some of them would be shocked and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> and start to ask questions and be, you know, interested. And some, of course, would be like, no, really? Like, do your parents know that you work in a bar? Do your parents know that you don't put a hijab on? Do your parents know that, like, really? How is it with your parents? Like, you must be Christian. You cannot be Muslim, right? Like, if you're this cool, like, what, what, is, what is this? Like, tell me <laughs> what is this being? <laughs> and I found myself that I had to explain a lot of times. And I didn't like that. I don't think that I should be explaining things to people. Like, this is not... I don't feel that this is my calling, you know? So at some point I would try to ignore it or I would like just say yes on every question so they would leave me alone, you know? And, and also even that, a lot of people when they, um, when they know I'm an Arab and they get really interested in it and they would be very friendly, uh, but they would talk about me as being an Israeli Arab. And when I say that I'm a Palestinian, I identify as a Palestinian, you see the switch in people's faces and reactions and talk and speech because like um, for a lot of people specifically in Tel Aviv, there's this like really big hype going on that it's very cool to be leftist and to, to you know, have Arab friends. Um, but a lot of these people are totally okay with that until a person identifies himself or herself as a Palestinian. Like if you identify yourself as an Israeli Arab, we love you and it's all good. But if you identify yourself as a Palestinian, then hey, wait, okay, but Palestinians are this and that and you hold an Israeli ID and you this and you that. So I don't know. It was at some point I just ran away from there. 
literally. I just took my stuff and ran away from there and got back to Haifa and said, you know, fuck this shit, it's too much. You also have, in some ways, lack of mobility. Like, you can't just go to a concert in Lebanon if you wanted to. No, I wish. I've been trying so hard, man. So, well, yeah, well... (laughs) I have I get a lot of benefits from having an Israeli passport, uh, which is nice and all because I can, like people in Gaza, let's say, can barely travel, and people in the West Bank have to go through hell to travel, and me, like I have this sort of privilege of being able to travel, you know, to Europe and getting visas easily, and the United States and everywhere that it's very hard for Palestinians to travel to. But at the same time, the places that I mostly want to go to, I'm not allowed to go to, which is Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, um, some other, like basically all uh, Arab countries. Like now, well, now I can go to Dubai, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would love to go. Like my dream is to be able to perform in Syria and Lebanon. And with my passport, I cannot even do that. So it's uh, nice that it gives me mobility in some place, but where it matters most to me, like, I like performing in Europe, but Europe is not home for me, you know? And I know that I would find something at least similar to home if I'm in Lebanon. And I would love to at least try and have, you know, that experience and see if I'm right or wrong. See if this is like a romantic story that I've built in myself in my head about Lebanon because I'm, you know, I cannot get there and it's forbidden and all of that. But yeah, hopefully I'll be able to do that one day. Some some of the songs you've worked on have gotten like millions of views, like mm-hmm. even the controversial ones. Actually, I think especially the controversial ones, which like personally, I'm very proud of. Whether it was them or whether it was with a solo project, the first time you realized that, wow, I've gotten hundreds of thousands or a million or several million views for something that I've worked on. Like, how did that feel? I don't know. Like, it was... Well, the first song that got a million views that I was in was Emtanjo Zakimma. I don't know, in general, when something big happens, I don't tend to give it much attention. I don't know why. <laughs> like, when that, you know, like, like let's take, for example, Dam. Like, um, I was a huge Dam fan. I grew up on their music. You know, they started since 99. I joined them. Like, I started performing with them in 2000. 12 but I sort of joined the band only with Min Inta which was 2016 I guess but I remember that like I even remember that at one time when I was still in school I was watching a damn show I was in the crowd and I knew already that I wanted to do music and sing and I was just you know looking at them and you know so in love with all of them and I was like thinking geez would I be like famous enough or good enough someday to do a song with them like I would love if I could be successful enough to do a song with them and then like bam I'm a part of the band but anyway um, so when I got the call from Tamer that they wanted someone to perform with I would have expected myself to be like you know like really excited about that but I was like so he talks to me hey this is Tamer we're looking for someone and my reaction I remember was like okay yeah cool let's do this 
and uh, so I think it's sort of like I'm not sure why it's like that maybe I don't get like to get myself too excited about something or I, I'm, I'm not even sure I don't know but it's sort of like the same feeling with getting the millions of views because I don't know how to explain it, but it's sort of like something that is outside of me and it's really nice to have and it's really nice to get but I also don't really like to be there so I got excited for the next million and then I for the first million and then I was like okay nice like whatever it gets I'm happy you know music and arts in general have this power of connecting um, whether it's people, whether it's energies, whether it's, you know, ideas, whether it's whatever it is, it doesn't really matter, but it connects something and it moves something physically in our bodies. A lot of things about me change because of the music that I listen to and because of the way that music is written and how I think and what I do. And it's very, very, very influenced of music that I have in my life. You know, it's really nice for me also to approach music not only as a business thing because I'm also trying to find the balance there because, like, I knew that I wanted to do music even more before I understood anything about the music business, you know. And I'm, I'm very much into, you know, uh, uh, healing and I want to study sound therapy and frequency therapy and... I think like music has power in changing our moods and our mindsets and our attitudes and our approach. And I think that's where the power of it lays, actually, of how it moves people and how people resonate with it. I also asked Mesa about one of her most memorable times performing. And she spoke about one of the first times she performed Jasadikum, which means their body. One of the first few times that I've performed just at the home before the album was released, so before anybody heard it. And I remember there were two shows. The first time that I ever performed it, I think, was in PAMFEST and that's Sahur. PAMFEST and Rawabi are two Palestinian music festivals where Maisa first performed the song prior to its official release. One of the places that I really, really do remember it because it was so powerful was in Rawabi actually and there was a huge festival and there were thousands of people and nobody from that audience knew the song before. But there we were in a dance show and people were jumping and dancing and we're on stage and jumping and dancing and suddenly the song comes along and I'm, you know, and it's, and I started doing that and I remember my feet were like trembling beneath my legs and I never felt that because in general I feel very comfortable on stage you know like um, I love being on stage but there was like something in my body that I couldn't stand up straight and my breath was not you know I was not breathing properly and you know I started saying that and suddenly with thousands of people it was just like Silence, you know, total silence. Like much of Maisa's work, the song rallies for women's rights and confronts societal oppression, explaining the dispossession of the female body under patriarchy. We couldn't play a snippet of the song due to licensing limitations, but the lyrics Maisa refers to basically say, look away, this breast is mine, put your hands off, this thigh is mine. Then I get to the part with the like start, people started clapping a bit before that, but then I get to that point, and the minute I start saying, you hear just 
thousands of people just screaming and whistling and at the moment well i have goosebumps right now just remembering that part and i remembered like then the feeling that was in my body and i was like i didn't even know how, how people are gonna take it you know because it's not it's not regular and for me i do feel confident to talk about these things but a lot of time like it doesn't matter how i feel comfortable like confident like these are the people that are listening to my music so i didn't even know what to expect from that you know yeah it was such a magical and powerful moment and i finished that and took me like a few minutes to be able to really relax and go back to doing the songs that we had next you know tell me about the song we are one um well i didn't really know sean before that and i got a message from him saying that he's working on an album and that he would like to collaborate and he sent me the beats and i really liked it and we talked a little bit actually it's interesting because we are one was the name of the song before i even started writing the lyrics at that time i was very very angry with a lot of things that was going on i was still living in yaffa still studying in tel aviv still being the only arab in the in the school that i was studying in um still there was all these words in gaza all of the things in Syria was going on and was like the peak of the war and the bombings and people fleeing and you know um, going to the sea and people drowning and it was like I felt like I was in the middle of like this huge chaos that I don't even know how to grasp and I don't know how to what to do with it you know I felt that I was burning and I couldn't do anything about it and like I I don't know and that was exactly the time when Sean talked to me and I was like okay I cannot write about anything else all the stories with the boats and everything and it's crazy that we live in a place that you flee to the water because the water suddenly becomes more safe than the earth and, and it was all about also like the inspiration of how we are portrayed by the west like the whole beginning of it like standing and it's make um, like wait for your turn we save you wait for your turn like keep your uh, kufi on so they know that you are arab you can keep the tears because it's what's going to you know make people feel more with you but just lay down with the anger and don't blame people because people here don't really like it you know remember that we want to be here to help you but you know don't go with you know the nasty images and we don't need to hear about all the killing but we want to hear about how we the west came and helped you and saved you And you know, of course, all of you know the Daesh and all of the things and all of like the people that would call themselves uh, religious but would use the name of God and love to kill and all of that. So, yeah, I think the song for me is you know is full of frustration and anger and like the need and want to do something but not always being able to do so. Personally, my favorite song from every all of your music is Enough. For me, it just really resonates because I feel like in the past few years, this disillusionment that we have of the quote-unquote Arab Spring and it, it just hit a lot of buttons for me, especially at the point like in the past year where 
a lot has happened or even before that before even before like corona and all of this where we were already at a, lot, at a point where there was enough in the world to make even the most optimistic of us very cynical yeah uh, and it was just sobering for me to like be in my room working on something or you know taking a walk or something and have this song come up on my playlist and it's like the one honest three three minutes you know frame of my day where I'm not pretending to be happy while living under a dictatorship or not pretending to be happy despite the fact that there's a genocide or several genocides going on in like mm-hmm. countries that you know my grandparents would have been able to travel to very easily <laughs> um, so so yeah I don't know like how 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 did that song come for you well? well I'm very happy to hear that it resonates with you and what you're describing it really makes me feel so happy and um, well actually because Fiat was the first song that I've ever written and also came from frustration I guess this is like a motive for me that whenever I'm frustrated like the best songs come out but um, I was then performing with Ministry of Dabki with Bruno Cruz and uh, Wala Espet and I was still you know I was writing even songs in English then I remember and I was feeling so frustrated with everything and you know and I was like for me the time I was 18 I guess when I wrote that when I started writing that and you know that was for me the stage of like you know finishing high school and and going out to the world and realizing how a lot of things that we thought about the world that are not even true and like how a lot of images are changing and what is going on and you start realizing more and more about the reality that we live in remember that I had like seven, eight full pages, big pages of all of the things that I was frustrated about and I just put them into paper, just paragraph by paragraph. And I went to Wala and I'm like, Wala, this is what I have. You're gonna make help me write a song about this. And I remember we sat one time in, in Haifa in a neighborhood and a friend's um, roof. And we would just started doing that. And I started just playing, you know, two, three chords on the guitar and And we started working with that and then suddenly the chorus came and I'm like... So well, that helped me like a lot, a lot to realize how do I even write a song in Arabic? How do I build it from the seven pages that I have written? And it became famous before I even recorded it because I was in this like two weeks maybe after I wrote it uh, like we wrote it I was sitting in um with some friends and I just started singing it to them and somebody videotaped me and put it online and since then like you know that song I wrote that song I think in 2012-2013 when I started um, writing that 2011 even I don't I'm not sure and I only recorded it in 2015 in the album and released it 2017, but it was already so well known. It's weird, you know, it's weird because like I wrote that song, that song started in my bedroom and ended on the ceiling of a friend of ours, you know, just me and Wala, and from something that is so personal to something that is being heard by so many people all over the place. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, it's amazing, yeah, don't get me wrong, it's amazing, but at the same time, 
that's also trying to find the balance between who I am personally and who I am as a musician. And for the world, there's no separation for that because I'm me personally, but I'm the one that does the music. So it's also in between of like how I feel about being known and being not known and all of these things. Thank you for listening to this episode with Maisa Dao. Due to licensing limitations, we were unable to play snippets of much of her music, but you can find out more about Maisa's work by searching Maisa Dao on Spotify or Enrami. Also, make sure to search DAM, D-A-M, all capital letters, to listen to the hip-hop band's latest album, Ben Hana Omana. You can also find out more about Maisa by searching at Maisa Dao on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening to Sounds of Wahala. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Sounds of Wahala Podcast. We'll be back in two weeks. I've been your host, Yasmin Elbey.